You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. And again, if I haven't met you, I'm Matt. I'm, well, I guess I'm an elder on the way out. Uh, <laughs> come on, Elder Joe, we got to, you got to, yeah. And I'm, I'm one of our pastors here at Grace, so um, I, too, welcome you. Glad that we're here. We've been going through the book of James. How you guys been doing with James? Okay, James is pretty tough. Sometimes uh, I feel like he hits below the belt, right? I mean, one thing I like about James is he's kind of a bottom line guy, and so am I. I don't like all the flavlicious, what are you trying to say here? And James just says it. I was joking with my, uh, my men's group that I meet with these guys on Thursday night, and I, was, I played Little League uh, all my life, and, or, well, when I was little, and uh, all growing up, played, I was the catcher in third base. And every time before we go in, the coach would always look over and he'd say, hey, Matt, you got the cup on? And it was funny because Zach's like, well, they don't say that anymore. Yeah, you probably get arrested today. They, they say, are you equipped? <laughs> okay, <laughs> whatever. Bottom line is, bottom line is when I read James, sometimes I feel like you better, you better be equipped because he's coming strong and his words that he has to say are very piercing in our lives. Okay, he's, he's, uh, he's got a lot to say. He's got a lot to say today. The first chapter of James, remember, he starts right off by saying, listen, you need to count it all joy when you, when you in, 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 uh, encounter, persevere, or, uh, what am I trying to say? When you, when you encounter trouble and trials, because you, you need to persevere because it's God's actually going to work with you to produce something in you through that trial. So he says, you can even experience joy in that. And last week, Jay talked about the fact that if your faith doesn't work itself out in your practically, practical daily life, then it's worthless. You might as well be reading a Stephen King novel or something, right? If you're not going to be putting into practice what God's word says, don't waste your time. And so today we're going to speak about the tongue. He, James is going to tell us uh, that, that there's a third characteristic that's going to be revealed, that, that the mature Christian should have power and control over their tongue, over the things we say, the way we speak to one another. And so apparently this, these scattered churches were having some issues with saying one thing and not doing it, or praising God with their tongues and then you know, having trouble with other people. So let's, let's be reminded real quick, what has James been talking about? Chapter one, he said, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. And then he said, those who don't keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. If, if it's not going to change your life, what are you doing here? Might as well get some sleep, right? He's, he's just like right to the point. In chapter two, he says that we should act and speak as if we're already standing in front of Jesus being judged. Right? There's, a, there's a weightiness to our lives, to what the things we say, the way we live. And so the, the, the power of words is one of the greatest gifts that God has given us as, as his children. Right? We, we serve a speaking God. God speaks and things come into being that weren't ever into being. Jesus is said to be the very word of God. He's the enfleshed word who, who dwells among us. Okay, so every, at the center of everything we know is a word. It's an amazing thing, Jesus, the logos, the word. And so we serve a God that speaks and creates ultimate reality. And so we too, bearing the image of God, when we speak, we create realities in and our families, in our homes, and, and everywhere we go. 
So it's no surprise that James takes a really serious uh, view of the tongue. And what James says in his way, the rest of the scriptures say in their way too, because I, I, was, I was, again, amazed by this. There, there's hardly a sin more uh, exposed and condemned than the sins of speech in the scriptures. Right after the fall of man in Genesis, the first sin we see is, is Genesis 3.12, when, when uh, um, uh, Adam is sitting there and, he's, and he's, he's blaming his wife. Well, you know, it's the woman you gave me. And he starts, starts abdicating his responsibility for something God had called him to. And in Romans 3, when, when the apostle Paul wants to, wants to exemplify the fact that the whole world without exception is unrighteous, is without understanding or concern to do good, he boils his whole argument down to this one fact. He says, their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit, the poison of vipers is on their lips, and their mouths are full, are, are full of cursing and bitterness, as he quotes the Psalms. The great prophet Isaiah, chapter 6, we know chapter 6, he's standing there before the Lord, and, and he explained that his alienation from the presence of a holy God, his inability to join in the, in the choir, holy, 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 and his personal sense of doom, he describes by admitting and acknowledging that he was a man of what? Do you guys remember? Unclean lips. And he dwelt among a people of unclean lips. Their very words betray them. The Apostle Peter recognizes that Christians long for a fulfilled experience, a good life and rich blessing from God. He commands in his letter, he says, whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. Now, we don't see our words like that. We, we don't normally, we, we, we'd be lying to ourselves and we say, oh yeah, I always think about the things I say with that kind of weight. We just don't. I mean, we rarely stand beside Genesis or Paul and, and find that in our words, the primary evidence of our fallen state apart from, a, apart from Christ, right? Our words. We, we rarely see that. We rarely think like that. We, we don't share Isaiah's sense that, that right here, the things I'm saying in a special way separates me from God and brings condemnation. Or no, nobody's ever told us that the controlled tongue is the key to blessing as Peter does. And as we're about to hear from James, so let's ask James today, what is it about the tongue that's so significant? Why, why are you so direct when it comes to our words? And so let's read Genesis, or excuse me, James 3, 12, or Genesis 3, 1 to 12 today. He begins right off the bat, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire. It's a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it itself is set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, and reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in, the, in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? 
Okay, we'll try that again. This will be a rhetorical. And you guys really both. Okay, can fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig bear olives? Can a grapevine bear figs? No, neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. The word of the Lord for us today. Again, he's coming right at us. So James has me sweating right off the bat. He starts talking about teachers and stricter judgment. Why, why would he say this? What, what is it about teaching in the church that's so significant? Well, just think down through the history of the church. Right? God has raised up people to serve in the church, and, and he's raised up teachers and pastors and all, these, all kinds of different roles in the church. But the teaching role is, so, is very significant because our words shape realities in our minds. Right? The, the things we say cause not only me, but all of us to really think, and, and, and words can really shift the way people think. So it's, it's very significant and very serious that we, stand, that we who stand in front of you and teach the word of God know what we're talking about. And us as, us, those of us on the teaching team here, man, we, we don't take this lightly. I want you to know that. I, we put a lot of time in thinking about what we're going to say. And I would never say anything to you that I wouldn't say to the Lord Jesus Christ if he was standing right here. I'm like, Lord, I think this is it. I think this is, you know, but, but we're open. So you guys need to have your Bibles open, right? You need to be checking us. And, and if there is something that we're saying that you're like, man, that seems a little off. Our doors are open all the time. Come on in, let's talk. And, and maybe, maybe, I, maybe I did get that wrong. And I'll be the first to jump right up here in front of you guys and say, you know what? I really just blew that last week. Here's, here's what I was trying to say or whatever. But a teaching, teaching in, the, in the church, is, it shouldn't be something we just rush into. The other thing that's interesting is, is the main, uh, the, 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 the main uh, instrument of my teaching is, the, is my tongue, which James says is the hardest part of the body to control. So, so we don't take it lightly. And I would just say as an aside, man, be careful who you listen to. We live in a world where everybody's teaching all the time. And so we really need to be careful who you're listening to. James makes it clear that we all stumble in many ways. And he's not talking about the amounts of sins. He's talking about the different ways we sin. And, and he's not saying, when we know from what we've read, and he, and he's not saying, yeah, we all stumble in, in many ways. No big deal. It is a big deal. It is a big deal to James. But he's saying the, the, the one thing that we all have in common, every one of us, is we all sin with our tongues. We all have this tongue that's, that's wild. It's like a spark in all the things he said, so a hasty word, a, a sly suggestion, an innuendo, maybe it's straight up criticism, maybe it's harmful gossip. We all know what it is to sin with our tongues. And he says not to sin with our tongues would demand perfection. Now, Jesus had an older brother. Who was that? Or, sorry, James had an older brother. Who was that? It was Jesus, right? His half brother. Now, P uh, Peter says about Jesus that, that he committed no sin and no guile was found on his lips. I don't think that's what James is talking about here. He's not talking about sinlessness. He's talking about the same kind of perfection or completeness that he was in, in chapter one. And, and that's the person who's mature and growing and submitted their life to Jesus Christ, who's filled with the spirit of God, who's having their mind renewed by the word of God. And so the mark of authentic Christian faith is, is keeping a tight rein on our tongues because controlling our tongues leads to the master control of all of our lives. 
So we need to understand this. So let's see what James says about it. The first thing he says is your tongue is powerful. And he uses these two images, the bit and the rudder, right? The, uh, they're, they're both small, but they exercise great power. The bit enables the rider to master the horse and the rudder uh, enables the captain to maneuver the ship. The tongue too is very small, but it's able to do great things. Bit and the rudder, they, they overcome contrary forces, right? The bit over, overcomes the contrary force of the wildness of the stallion. And we too have an old nature, the Bible says. We have a sin nature that, that constantly is, is trying to get us off course as Christians. Lead us down places we don't want to go. Internal forces that seek, us, seek to destroy us. The bit was there to keep the horse in check. And James says, your tongue is that bit. And he says the same thing is true with the, with, with the ship. There's, there's external circumstances that are crashing on our lives at all times. Right? I mean, significant thing, death in families, sickness, illnesses, unexpected shocks, maybe the, maybe the pressure of adversity or the pressure maybe even more so of prosperity that, that attempt to lead us off track. Once again, James says, we have a rudder there and the rudder is the tongue. Now listen, it's not that a person uh, strong enough to control the tongue is strong enough for every other battle. It's much deeper and more significant than that. I think what he's saying here is, is rather it's a, it, winning this battle of the tongue is a winning of all the other battles. And let's, let's, let me see if I can flesh this out. In the back, we have a light board. Okay, we have this switchboard. It controls all these lights you see. Now, there's people that have gone through Jacob's training and they, they know how to work the faders and the nuances of all that and, and have, they, they really know the switchboard. There he is. I mean, thank you, Jacob. Now, there's a, there's a master switch. There's a master switch on that board that you don't have to go through Jacob's training, okay? You, you don't have to. You just go back there. You don't need any special aptitude. You just hit the switch. And, and in doing that, you can kill all the lights, right? So, so in that way, you can, you can literally be lord of the switchboard, okay? You, you hit one switch, everything goes off. And in, this, in that sense, a person that's able to control the tongue is able to control everything else in their lives. And, and this really shouldn't surprise us if we think about this together. Okay, think about the words we say. The actual words we speak are a very small portion of, of probably the dialogue that's going on in our lives all the time. Okay? I mean, we, 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 can't, we can't think without forming thoughts with our words in, in our head, right? We can't plan where, where we're going to be next week and, and, unless we use the words to kind of go through and, and paint pictures in our minds and, 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 and use our inward eyes to, to see realities that we're going to experience. We can't resent one another without fueling the fires of resentment. You, you know one way I do this in my sin when I'm operating out of my insecurities? I... Uh, I amp up the volume in my relationships. So like my wife will say something very benign. She's like, hey, are you going to fix that over there? Just, you know, having coffee in the morning, nothing. I'm like, am I going to fix it? I fix everything around here. Yeah, you, you don't see me? I mean, what do you mean? Am I going to fix them? Am I going to fix this, this? And I start, you know, and the next thing you know, I'm attributing these really negative thoughts to my, she's just like, hey, you know, it's just a door. Can you just, right? But, but I can, in my, I can amp that up and that dialogue starts going crazy. And it's destructive. We can't feel sorry for ourselves. That, that self-pitying internal voice that, that says, ah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just not any good. Man, nothing ever works out for me. Why even try? 
I know what today's going to bring. I'm not even getting out of bed today. And so, so we've got a choice at this point. Internally or externally, when, when my world's collapsing all around me, I can do two things. Number one, I, I, can, I can steer into, in, into these, these lies. I can steer into the fact that, yeah, you know what? God's against me. He doesn't really care about me. He doesn't see me. If he did, he would never let this happen to me. Why, why would this happen to me? Nobody who cared about me would let this happen to me. I don't even know if he's there. Or you, you, we, can, we can take our words as we speak to ourselves and we can say, no, no, I know that God is for me. Scripture told me that. Right? I, I know that, that, that if God is for me, who can stand against me? And I know that, that life is found in nowhere else. And I know that, that he really wants to comfort me in my time of need. If our tongues are so under control that we refuse to formulate the self-pity talk, the, 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 the images of lustfulness, the thoughts of anger and resentment, then these things are cut down before they ever have a chance to start fleshing themselves out. It's like we're flipping off the master switch. And in this way, we're, we're anyone who is never at fault is perfect. In this way, we, we can actually keep their whole body in check. And so what I think James is getting at is, is, is the control of the tongue is much more than the evidence of our spiritual maturity. It's literally the means to it. And that's why we always say, man, there's no substitute for God's word in your life. We are to be constantly renewing our minds thinking God's thoughts after him. Paul says things like, we need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for our flesh. Take on the mind of Christ, be filled by his spirit and be constantly renewed. Our tongues are powerful, not just externally, but internally as well. And, and that's the great boast of the tongue. The great boast of the tongue here isn't that it's saying arrogant things to God. In this context, the boast of the tongue, is, it's like two ounces but it can control this 200 plus pound guy you got standing before you today. That's the boast. It's so small, but look what it can do. Look at the bit. It's small, but look what it can manage. Look at the rudder. That's the great boast. And so the first thing he says is our tongue has the power to direct our lives. It's very powerful. Second thing is it's very destructive. James speaks of, of another small thing, but where the rudder and the bit were passive, they're waiting to be acted on. This is an active spark. This is, this is fire. Okay, a small spark sets on the, the whole forest on fire, right? One commentator put it this way. He said that the tongue is an entire ecosystem of sin, a world in and of itself, continents of wickedness, vast uncharted interiors of any number of evils. Words matter because they change the way that we actually view things. And we know this all too well. Think down through our history, right? Seemingly kind people have been whipped up with words and rhetoric to do the most horrific things to other people. I mean, just think about our history in America, right? The things that, that people were saying, yeah, it's a good idea. We look at today and we think, it's horrifying. How did we ever get there? Words Rhetoric. Our words are powerful. And they can be devastating. And James says we need to think about that. Parents, think about this. You ever look at your kid and you just see a great quality in them and you say, man, you know, I really love that about you. And what happens? They just light up. I do it with my granddaughters and, and, and my little Ella Grace will turn to me and say, thank you, Papa. And I'm just, I'm melted. What do you want? You can have anything you want. I mean, it's, just, it's just so amazing. There's life there. But how about when you snap? 
How about when you're at the end of the day and your kids just, ah, one more thing and you just lose it on them and you see them shrivel and shrink and you see it, you, you crush their spirit. Proverbs says that the tongue has the power of life and death. It's very powerful. How do you talk, hey, how do you talk to your, uh, your spouse, your coworker? I wonder what your conversation in the car was like today. One malicious word, well-placed, can be devastating to those relationships. Anger, sarcasm. Uh, some of us like the more cowardly way, the passive-aggressive comment. You know what this one's like. So it can, and it could be something really benign, like, hey, you go into the office, hey, guys, check it out, I got a new phone. And, and you're insecure, so you're like, nah, I'm more of an Apple guy. Just take the life right out of him with a word. Or maybe you're the one-upper, right? Hey, hey, uh, guess what, Tony? I'm taking my kids to Rockaway this weekend. It's like, yeah, we're going to Fiji, but there's still a beach there, right, in Rockaway? It's probably raining, though, but, you know, we're... You take the life out of them with just, just words like that. We do it all the time because we operate out of insecurity so much. And so we, we have to bring people down because we, we need to bring ourselves up. And the scariest thing is this doesn't get better with age. It actually gets worse. Right? Ecclesiastes talks about the body kind of breaking down at the end of your life. You're just not, you know, interested in things you were before. You, you don't care about conquering the hill and doing this anymore. You want to just, you know, kind of golden years, chill. But the tongue, James says, it's with us our whole, the whole course of our lives. He says it's, it's literally liable to break out at any time. It's a reckless evil that speaks hellish things. Remember the apostle Peter? Remember Jesus says, hey, Peter, I'm, gonna, they're gonna, I'm going to the cross and all this. And Peter says, you're not. And he says, no, it's never going to happen. And what does Jesus say about his words? He says, get behind me, Satan. He said, literally, Satan is filling your mouth. You, you are speaking from the pits of hell right now because you don't have the things of God in mind. You have your own agenda in mind. Even Peter, our careless words, have such great potential for damage and destruction. Look at what the proverb says here. I got to look at this screen. Uh, well, I guess it doesn't matter. We're not filming, so leave me alone. Um, <laughs> like a maniac, like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is the one who deceives their neighbor and says, that's only joking. Our world, there's so much of this in our world, you guys. Right? I mean, there's so much. It's just like, you know, a little lie here, a little deception here. It's no big deal. But James says it is a big deal. Our, our, our lives, our words have impact. It is a big deal. Which is why Jesus said, everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty or careless word they've spoken. And that's heavy. You feel that? Our words can be very destructive. James goes on, he says, your tongue's untamable. He takes us to the zoo here and he shows us all these animals. You guys been to SeaWorld? You've seen what we can do with orcas and killer whales? You've seen the, the dolphins shooting hoops with their, you know, snouts and whatever? I mean, we, we have uh, elephants that play football. We, we have parrots that can sing karaoke. Some of you guys have trained your dog to get slippers or maybe a Budweiser out of the fridge. You a little pole there. I mean, there, there's, there's, there's almost no limit to the things that we, can't, that, that we haven't trained in the animal kingdom. But he says it comes to an abrupt halt when it comes to our tongues. 
He says we're incapable in and of ourselves of taming these things. And we see this every time someone powerful is brought down by a word or phrase that they can't take back. Or maybe they, they tweet something out or they say something and, and, and their whole world has been, um, has been set up on, the, on these social, uh, social networks, right? These platforms. And they put themselves out there. And then they slip up one day and the whole world comes crashing down. Did you hear what they said? And their whole life can be destroyed. We saw this politically a couple weeks ago, man, when, when old Biden said, he said, uh, he, it's, it's actually good that our gas prices are this high. And what did the people on the other side say? He just said it out loud. And the, and, and, and the Twitter sphere went crazy. And here's what was going on. So obviously we have one party that, that they're, you know, they're obviously with this Green New Deal and all this stuff. And they want to kind of push there. I don't think any of us would be like, yeah, no, green energy is good. But if you do it before you have an infrastructure, it's going to destroy our economy, right? I'm, I'm putting 120 bucks in my truck. I'm like, wait a second, what's going on? I'm not making a political statement here. Well, maybe I am. Um, no, I'm not. <laughs> but but what, what did they say? He said it out loud because they're trying to move in a direction, but they don't want to actually say things that so many of us would be like, what? Now, listen, I don't care if you had a shot of diesel fuel with your Cheerios this morning, or if you're so green that you've got asparagus growing out of your ears, we are one in Christ, okay? We are one here, so let's not, it's not, not political, but um, our tongues are uncontrollable in and of our own strength. It's a restless evil, James says, full of deadly poison. Our tongues are inconsistent. James says that the inconsistency of our words is appalling and completely out of step for the believer in Christ. Listen, we, we look at our Lord and Father, and we praise him and, and we see the, the creation he's made and we see the way he sustains all things by the word of his power. And, and we see the, 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 Jesus, his son, who's sent to the earth to rescue us and to take our sin and all these things. And, and we worship with words and we're right to do so. We should be worshiping God. James points that out. But then he says, we look around at our brothers and sisters in, in the family of God. And we think nothing of demeaning, defaming, criticizing, gossiping about. Yet they too bear the image of God. We, we think of Jesus and when pe people take Jesus' name in vain, right, we get triggered. We're like, what are you doing? And, um, you, you know, when his name is defamed, it moves us. But we don't think anything about defaming a brother and sister who bears the very image of God. And James says, he's shocked and he's moving. He appeals to us. He says, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. It's the only place this word is used. It, it, it's literally translated, this is no way right. There's no way this can be right. You can rationalize for the rest of your life. There's no way that that's right. That hypocrisy doesn't belong. Doesn't belong in the heart of the, the new Christian. And we need to feel the weight of this text. James isn't outlining a seven-step program for, for better speaking, right? His, his aim is the, the, precisely the opposite. He wants us to know this isn't something we can handle on our own. And, but we need to do it. But we can't without help. This is a hard issue. Jay likes to say the root determines the fruit. That's exactly what he's, what he's talking about here. The fresh water and salt water. I mean, a, a fig has to come from a fig tree, right? Salt water comes from a salt source. Fresh water from a fresh sort. Bitter words from a bitter heart. 
angry words from an angry heart, critical heart. Uh, a defamatory, unloving speech comes from a, from a heart where Jesus is a stranger. Our inconsistent tongues reveal that there's something very wrong in us and we're powerless to do it without any help. But take heed, there is some help. Because um, the fifth attribute of the tongue is it's a revealer of the heart. Listen to what Jesus said about it. He said, a good man brings the good things out of the good stored up in his heart. The evil man brings the evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Why are our words so powerful? Because it's literally my heart telling you what I think about you. Your heart telling me what you think about me. It's revealing what's going on deep inside. Our words reveal the very condition of our hearts. And this is an amazing gift. Remember at the beginning of the book, James said, all good and perfect gifts come from the Father of life. lights. This is one of them. Right, Because you don't have to wonder if you have an angry heart. You don't have to wonder if you have a bitter, jealous heart, a self-pitying heart, a desperate, lonely heart. Your words will reveal eventually what's going on. Listen to the things you're saying now when you're in your car by yourself. You know, what are you saying about this guy and that person and the guy who cut you off? I mean, is it instant just hot anger all the time? Something's going on in the heart. You, you want to do something really scary and really vulnerable? Get a couple people that you really trust, that you know care about you, and get in a room and say, hey, tell me what you think's going on with my heart, what we've been talking about lately, and don't say anything. Give them a half hour, give them an hour, and then say, I'll see you guys next week, thank you, and walk away and think about that. Our, our hearts betray us by the things we say. The things we say, we, we, we can only keep so much behind the filter, right? Things slip out. Let's have an honest conversation here. One of my issues has been for the longest time, um, defensiveness, okay? It's my go-to. Anybody? Any other defensive people? Come on, man. All right, there's one. All right, I got one. First service, I had like four. I'm like, come on, man. I, I'm talking to your spouses. I think there's a few more, but um, uh, anyway, um, I, as long as I can remember, Mrs. Kelly, my third grade teacher, I, and I didn't really know what it meant, but I remember she saying, Matt, why are you being so defensive? And all through my life, I felt that raise up in me when, when someone has like um, asked me, you know, about something I'm doing or the way I'm doing something about a specific task. It's just been my go-to. Guess who else has brought that up a time or two in the last 32 years? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So when I'm, when I'm feeling and acting out of my defensiveness and the result is kind of an anger and a hostility growing in me... What's really going on under the surface is there's this wound in my heart that's being poked at. Somehow I picked up this wound that, man, you're just not good enough. There's something wrong with you. You're, you're broken. Why can't you fix that? You've been, I mean, you're still dealing with that after this many years? And you're defective. That's what's going on. It's a deep identity struggle that, that surface blocks it with defensiveness. You're not going to touch that. What drives your mouth is your heart, but what drives your heart is your core identity. And this is where the gospel and gospel identity can save us, can really rescue us. It can transform the way that we speak and we respond to those who confront us or those we've, we felt threatened by. The very words we speak can become edifying and encouraging 
and, and we can be set free from the sinful, uh, pellish patterns of our past in a way that a wrong identity never can. Here's what I mean. It, when we begin to grow in understanding of the gospel, and let me just explain the gospel real quick because my foundations class reminded me, you know, you guys say stuff up there. We don't know what you're talking about. The gospel. The fact that we are sinful and God sees us and in his love and compassion, he sends his son Jesus into the world to exchange our sin, to take our sin to the cross, die a penalty that we deserved and offer us free life and eternal life with God. In a nutshell, that's what the gospel is. That's the good news. You couldn't earn it. It's a free gift. You just receive it. And so when, when we embrace the gospel, and, and we realize that, that we are adopted by God. We, 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 don't, we don't have to strive in anymore. He is, he's forgiven us because of what Jesus has done. When that becomes our pri primary identity, the way we start talking changes things. Right? Because, listen, we have other identities. I'm, I'm Rhonda's husband. I'm my kid's dad. I'm a pastor here at Grace. I'm, I'm a friend to my guys that I get together with. And, and you know, there, there's a bunch of sub-identities. But if I can anchor myself to my core identity that the gospel gives me, I'm chosen, man. I'm his. I'm loved. I'm accepted. All of my inadequacies are bound up in Christ and he's given me his righteousness. And he presents me before his father as holy. If I can grab onto that and anchor myself in that, what happens is the way I talk begins to change. Here's how. I don't need Rhonda to be my savior. I don't need you guys to be my savior. I don't need to get my identity from you. I already have one. And Jesus is that one. He's given me an identity that, that nobody can touch if I anchor myself into it. And so I don't have to be so concerned with what other people say. I can actually rejoice when someone's doing something better than me instead of figuring out how to cut them down. I say, man, that God is, God, the guy's gifted. Praise the Lord for that. But if your identity is rooted in, I don't know, you're the best salesman in the room, you're, you're the best mom right? And you're on all your socials, just making sure everybody knows what a great mom you are. If that's where your identity comes from, you're the best barista, you're the best thinker in the room, whatever it is. If that's where your identity is, is rooted, what's going to happen is you're going to be forced and compelled to tear others down, to attack, to defend, to start destructive fires all over the place because your very identity is at stake. Do you see how that works? You have to defend yourself. You have to promote your identity. And let me tell you something. Hell is more than willing to lend a hand to help you with that. And that's what James is saying. If, you're, if your identity isn't rooted in Christ and in the gospel, what's going to happen is you have no choice but to use your words to be destructive, to tear down, to intimidate, manipulate. And uh, the result is that you'll be a liability for the kingdom of God instead of an asset. And so James brings these words and they're strong. The words that are coming out of your mouth reveal the condition of your heart. So let's think about this together. What kinds of things have you been saying? What kinds of things you've been saying to each other? What kinds of things you've been saying at school with your friends? What kinds of things you talk about? What have you been saying to your spouse? The, the real question is, what is the condition of your heart today? That's what James is really getting at. Your words reveal what's going on. Do you pay attention to those? Will you listen to someone who cares about you as they comment? There isn't one of us here in this room today that wouldn't take back probably a million things in our lifetimes that we've said to people. 
right? I mean, we just say stupid stuff. Things slip out. We get tired. We get hangry. If that's the worst, you're hangry. Watch out, man. So you're going to get zapped with a, with a quick critique. And it might seem like nothing to you, but it might be devastating to your kid. He might carry that scar his whole life. We got to be careful. There's no room for church elbow here today. If you've been church elbowing somebody, we should all be doing this, right? We should have bloody elbows walking out of here. All of us are guilty of this. All of us need to see our language, our words, our communication, both externally and internally, the way God sees it. Some of, some of you here today, you might need a new heart. Maybe you've never embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ and his offer to give you a new heart. He, he hears the kind of things you're saying and you're desperate and he wants to save you and rescue you and give you a new heart. And, and what that means is you just need to say, Jesus, I need your help. I, you need, I, I can't do this without you. We, we, we save me and he will. Some of you guys are doing a really good job with your heart. I mean, you've been pressing into the word. You've been renewing your mind. You've been, you've been guarding your heart above all else because you know that everything in life flows from that. And I say, man, not perfectly, but, but you're growing in it, man. Keep going. Keep going. Don't, don't, don't forsake. Don't neglect your heart. It's very easy to do. I am not good at self-care. And I'm realizing I need to get good at self-care, right? Because there's some issues that once, once you get past some of these things, there's freedom. It's wonderful. We need to guard our hearts. Some of us need to confess the things we've said, even this morning. I mean, I saw you singing. I know there's some things said in the car this morning. It's just, again, again why do me and Rhonda not fight on the way to church? We drive separately. Um, <laughs> sorry, preacher joke. Anyway, um, no, I just know how it goes, right? It's early, you're tired, you got life, kids, and all this stuff, and just one little word, careless word spoken. Oh, I, know you, I know what you meant by that. And it's like, no, I didn't. So some of us need to confess to each other. Man, I've, I've, I said some things, and they were awful. And I'm sorry, and will you forgive me? And I'm going to really start looking to take care of my heart better. James has some real practical wisdom that's going to help us in the next weeks that follow. But we're not going to make any progress unless we realize that the extent of the problem that we have with our tongues and the solution that we find in the, in the life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ. The worship team's going to come up and we're going to pray. Pray with me. Father, uh, these words are strong, very blunt, and very honest. We don't want to be hypocrites, Lord. I see the hypocrisy in my own words at times in my soul, and I don't want to be that guy, and I need your help. And all of us, I think, confess today, Lord, that we sin with our tongues, and we need to be washed. Lord, help us. Give us the courage and the wisdom to really guard our hearts. For those who don't know you, Lord, give them the courage to step out and, and ask you for help today. I thank you for... James, I thank you for his, his abruptness, and I thank you that you care so much about us to speak what we need to hear. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.